This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. And due to many of the comments and questions that have come my way, I've been asked to elaborate on the spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation. So I want you to watch this. Previously on Reconciliation. They lived in the glory of God in His manifest presence and then they began to blame and accuse. Chaos and death began. It was the wife you gave me. Well, it was that serpent. Their firstborn son murdered their secondborn son. And humanity has suffered for their decision till this day. So reformed is what we're called to do so that we can get back and not be conformed, deformed, uninformed, malformed, misinformed. But we can be reformed back to the way God originally intended us to be. The definition to reconcile in the dictionary means to restore relationships to friendly terms. So you may have an issue with the church, your in-laws, your tete, your wife, your boss, your neighbors, your shamwaris, your ex-wife, your ex-husband. Due to depression and anger, it plays out in avoidance, coldness, irritability, and ignoring. But God, again, he has a plan. These are balloons of offense. And this is how they hover over our church. The Bible says that we are to reconcile. I grew up in an abusive home with an alcoholic father. And he said that he wanted nothing to do with me or my sister. And he gave us up for adoption. After I became a Christian over 10 years later, I asked God to help me for what I'd suffered. And I wanted the Lord to lead me back to him to reconcile. And I met with him and restored a relationship. I did forgive him. I reconciled with him and my sister and I led him to the Lord. That was what I felt I needed to do. The process of reconciliation is finding a way to live together, but permits a vision for tomorrow. How many of you were here last week? How many of you popped your balloons of offense? How many of you played with the balloons of offense? I gave you an instruction to pop your balloon, but some of you popped them before I told you to pop them. And some of you, I told you not to take them home, and some of you took them home. It was reported to me that there were several balloons flying around still outside the building. I hope that they said greed or rebellion. I want you to turn with me to Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. (laughs) I love you, choir. I love you. The Bible says, God says, my people are destroyed or they perish for lack of knowledge. Now I want you to go to the next verse. It says, because you have rejected knowledge. Underline that word or circle that word rejected. You have rejected the truth or rejected knowledge, one version says. Destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected the truth. Let's consider something. 
How does God see this? How would you react if you found out that everything you were told or taught was a lie? How would you feel? Adolf Hitler said, if you tell a big, uh, tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. Mm -hmm. Make the lie big, make it simple, make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it and eventually they will believe it. Any idea, plan or purpose may be placed in the mind through repetition of thought anything we can almost get you to believe anything if we say it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and eventually your brain is conditioned to accept that thought repetition of the same thought or physical action develops into a habit which repeatedly frequently enough then becomes an automatic reflex television is there to brainwash us all and internet is there to eliminate any last resistance <laughs> truth is truth even if no one believes it and a lie is a lie even if everyone believes it I can tell you right now some of you believe well all of us believe something that is not true and I would love to stand and tell you things that I know but my husband has forbidden me. <laughs> How would you tell? Um, so we've been programmed, infiltrated, conditioned all of our lives. And uh, how would you feel if someone told you that Jesus Christ was not born on the 25th of December? <laughs> or that Christmas and Easter are pagan, demonic, ritualistic holidays? If someone told you, not me, someone. <laughs> what if someone told you that vaccines are a depopulation strategy to kill off the population? Or that the pretty white streaks in the sky following an airplane are actually poison being released over us? What if someone told you that Caitlyn Jenner is still a man? Or that the reason television programs are called programs is because they are programming your brain for a specific agenda. So when a topic is presented, don't take anyone's word for it. Do the research yourself, knowing that the word of God is the truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, by the way, the message two weeks ago, I mentioned that fluoride wasn't good for you. <laughs> Some of you were in shock because you thought you were taught to brush with fluoride your whole life, that it would save your teeth from decay. Since I told you to research for yourself, many of you have, and you've come and asked me where you can obtain fluoride-free toothpaste because you still want to brush your teeth. So for your benefit, Wordwide has um, informed me that they've introduced a little health corner and a product section which contains some fluoride-free toothpaste that we're going to start today. And um, uh, along with some other things, today they have a limited stock. But this is just for you if you want to go and investigate it and check it out. Sometimes people hold a core belief that is very strong. When they are presented with evidence that works against what they believe... 
the new evidence cannot be accepted and it would create a feeling that is extremely uncomfortable. It's called cognitive dissonance. Can you say cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance. And because it is so important to protect the core belief, they will rationalize, ignore, deny things that don't even fit with the core belief. You see young people doing that, trying to protect their idols, their rap artist idols, or their uh, movie star idols, or something that is not quite in line, or they believe in governments which are corrupt, but they want to believe it, so they will do anything they can to believe that lie. It's called cognitive dissonance. And some of the things I shared with you, <laughs> your brain's going, uh-uh, 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 I'll believe that, but not that. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Well, you say, so what does that have to do with reconciliation and forgiveness? Because we experience extreme cognitive dissonance when God tells us to, re- to, to forgive someone who raped us. Or forgive someone who stole from us. Or forgive someone who totally abused us. How can that be? Well, look at Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter came and said to Jesus, and if you have a real Bible, I love your pages. If you have a real Bible, I love you. If you don't have a real Bible, I forgive you. (laughs) Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Hey, I'm being real brave here. That's a lot of times. That's a lot of times. And Jesus said, I do not say it to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times 7, forgive your brother, forgive your sister, forgive your mother, your uncle, the stranger who hurt you, forgive the usher who offended you. Forgive somebody that you don't even know. And maybe you're wondering why I'm emphasizing cognitive dissonance in relationship to this, because forgiveness and reconciliation do not easily align with our feelings and experiences. Imagine again how the disciples must have felt. 70 times 7? Are you crazy? They must have been extremely uncomfortable. They rationalized, ignored it, denied it in a quest to protect their core belief. They'd been taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And now you want me to forgive 70 times 7? But the entrance of Yeshua and the truth that he spoke challenge their core belief system and put them in a position of cognitive dissonance and that's where we are today almost everything i can tell you and i wish i could tell you more and if you want to know more you can come and see me after the service what you're believing that is not true let's turn to second corinthians 5 17 through 21 the question you need to ask is How does God see this? How does God see this? I'm going to preach to the choir. How does God see this? (laughs) That is the question we must ask 
about everything. So 2 Corinthians, which we read last two weeks ago, 5.17-21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled. Now circle that in your Bible. Reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now circle that. Namely that God was in Christ reconciling, circle that, the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, circle that. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ through God, uh, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Now, look at this. One, two, three, four, five reconciles in a couple of scriptures. That carries a lot of weight in uh, what eschatology or what is it, Dr. McCoy? Um, um, fancy biblical studies. That carries a lot of weight five times. So why is it so important that we reconcile? The dictionary defined reconciliation to restore relationships to friendly terms. In the Greek, it means to change thoroughly. Everybody say change. Change. To change thoroughly. Mentally. To change your mind, your purpose, your view, to resolve something. To sit down with someone and dialogue. To sit down and negotiate. Reconcile. And God states in uh, Corinthians that we are ambassadors and representatives. See, look. We are ambassadors, verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. If we don't do it, it's not going to get done because we're the ambassadors. We're the ambassadors for true reconciliation. And I don't mean just making peace for the sake of peace and uh, what they call coexist and what they call um, uh, accept everything. What is that? Um, Tolerate, tolerate. Tolerate everything, tolerance. The only thing that they won't tolerate is intolerance. It doesn't make any sense. The only... <laughs> anyway, so let's, let's start here because First Peter 4.17. Judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment begins in the house of God. Where are you today? In the house of God. Where are you today? Where are you today? Okay, you be quiet. Where are you today? Judgment begins in the house of God. It begins with me. Say, it begins with me. It begins with me. Tell your neighbor, it begins with you. God is not linear. His creation is interwoven and interdependent, interdependent as the Hebrew language, which we are going to learn more about, I told you before. Interestingly enough, though, all throughout the scriptures, God gave us a pattern. He even told the story of reconciliation through the generational lines of our forefathers, whose Hebrew names reveal this principle. God is so amazing that he named all of his children as they came in progression 
and named what his whole plan was. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing. And Noah means rest or comfort. So he was telling us through the names of his, his saints, man was appointed and they, tat, they took on mortal sorrow. Then the blessed God shall come down and he'll be teaching us and his death shall bring us the despairing rest and comfort. Hallelujah. That is why we will learn and will continue to learn Hebrew. Do you know God's name, Yahweh, actually means behold the hand, behold the nail. So when he said Yahweh in the beginning, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. It was in the beginning. Yahweh, Yahweh, behold the hand, behold the nail. And I told you about Bereshit, Genesis 1, before, which we'll get into later. And some of you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. But just know this. God is God. And he shall reign. Hallelujah. So secondly, we must be reconciled to God. And I want to encourage you. Be reconciled to God. Do what he asks. Be where he needs you to be. Love who he needs you to love. And secondly, reconcile to one another. So turn with me to James 3. And we're going to talk more about how, how to do this. Because some of you are saying, I'm still not quite sure what to do. I know, I want to make everything right, but I don't know how. Well, James 3, 13 through 18 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds in gentleness and wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. There's disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now we're going to look at this a little bit here where it says, go back to the beginning and read this with me. Who among you is wise and understanding those are two different things i can't go into them now but who is wise and understanding so we will know by your good behavior and your deeds in gentleness of wisdom but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart say that with me if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart do not be arrogant And so lie against the truth. Sounds like someone who needs reconciliation. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is what? Read it with me. Earthly, natural, and demonic. 
carry on. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and what? There is what? But the wisdom from above is first what? Pure. Read out loud. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering. Carry on. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in by those who make peace. So we are going to sow in peace. And you will receive righteousness, the fruit of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. You are going to be a peacemaker. But before we talk about that, I want you to watch this. Did you know that unforgiveness can actually make you sick? It's classified as a disease in medical books. Now, forgiveness therapy is being used to help treat diseases like cancer. Dr. Stephen Standiford, a cancer surgeon, says unforgiveness makes people sick and keeps them sick. It's important to treat emotional wounds or disorders um, because they really can hinder someone's reactions to the treatments, even someone's willingness to pursue treatment. Of all cancer patients, 61% have forgiveness issues, and of those, more than half are severe. That's according to research by Dr. Michael Berry, a pastor and the author of the book, The Forgiveness Project. These negative emotions, this anger and hatred, creates a state of chronic anxiety. Chronic anxiety very predictably produces adrenaline and cortisol, which, de- which deplete the production of natural killer cells, which is your body's foot soldier in the fight against cancer. When a person forgives from the heart, which of course is the gold standard that we use in Matthew 18, forgiveness from the heart, we find that they're, uh, they're able to find a sense of peacefulness. Uh, quite often our patients refer to that as a feeling of lightness. Lori, we don't realize what a burden anger and hatred is until we let it go. And the first step in forgiveness therapy is recognizing forgiveness is not the same thing as condoning what a person did, which is the major hurdle for most patients. So it's a disease. Look at you and look at your neighbor and say, are you sick? (laughs) Forgiveness is releasing the person. Reconciliation is establishing, reestablishing the relationship. Forgiveness is releasing the person. Reconciliation is reestablishing a relationship. Forgiveness is letting go of the past. Reconciliation is embracing the future. Forgiveness takes one party. Reconciliation takes both parties. We need to work on both this forgiveness and reconciliation in this church today. So the lessons from James. The first thing is make peace. Make peace. Sow seeds of reconciliation. The difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper is this. A peacemaker confronts and speaks truth in love. But a peacekeeper will placate and compromise the truth. Trying to keep peace, make everybody happy, but won't deal with the issue. Are you a peacekeeper or a peacekeeper? 
maker. Do you understand the difference? There's a difference. A peacemaker makes peace knowing or understanding that it may be uncomfortable, unpleasant, or even resisted. A peacekeeper will tell you what they think you want to hear. Who's a peacekeeper in here? Husband walks in, and the wife wants to talk about something. No, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Not getting to the truth or the root of the situation. But reconciliation will place more value on peace, on true peace, and the relationship that it does on being right. It requires negotiation and reasoning. And that's why God gave us a template in Isaiah 118. And he said, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come, God wants to reason with us. Can we reason with one another? Or do we ignore? Do we put the cold shoulder? Do we avoid? Let us make peace. Now, making peace doesn't necessarily mean you're admitting that the other person is right in the way they offended you. That's not what we're saying. But it's, it's affecting the atmosphere to change and allow grace, which you'll see a little bit more about in a minute. Secondly, it's going to take a bit of time. Peacekeeping does not, peacemaking does not mean reconciliation has been accomplished. But a seed has been sown, and it needs time to develop. You planted a seed. So it's going to take some time. We're sowing seeds of reconciliation in a garden full of seeds of conflict. You may have sown many seeds of that conflict. But the goal is to overcome by planting the seeds of the peacemaker and letting the new seed choke out the old. Let the new seed choke out the old. Let your new seeds choke out the old. Let your new seeds choke out the old. Seeds of love, seeds of peace, seeds of compassion, seeds of empathy. Let them choke out the old because the old won't go away unless they're replaced. Husbands, love your wives. And live with them in an understanding way. And if you haven't understood them till now, there's always, there's always the future. There's always today to learn. How many of you understand your wives? I don't see many hands. <laughs> live with your wife in an understanding way. She's actually quite easy to understand. Hey, women are actually very easy to understand. Just ask them. The problem is, many men don't ask. They don't like to ask questions. Just like many men don't like to ask for directions. It's okay. <laughs> the Bible says... You have not because you ask not. What's wrong with you? Ask. And if you're scared to ask, God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of love, of power, and a sound mind. <laughs> so there's many, many things you can do to sow these seeds in reconciliation, which I'll talk about in a minute. But right now what I want to say is that, you know, it depends on the relationship or the thing you want to reconcile. If it's, a, if it's someone, you can, you can send them some notes. If you haven't spoken to your family for a long time, start by sending them some notes or letters or texts or Twitters or something. No, you don't want to do Twitters. What, do you, what am I saying? You want to do uh, a letter and put it in the mailbox. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Start by a letter or a phone call or, you know, take someone out to lunch. I know there was somebody that I wanted to talk to for a long, a long while ago. And so I started by doing about three or four different lunches with them. And then finally I sat down and said, hey, I need to share with you something. But by that time I had built a bridge and what's called the trading floor. We were trading on a floor, a relationship rather than I just came out of the blue and, you know, smacked them with something. There's also the way to approach, which I'll get get to that in a minute. But it won't go away. Whatever you do, don't give up. It takes time. Time doesn't heal all things, like people have said before. Any more than sitting in a church will heal your offense than by ignoring the fact that you have a broken leg and you think time will heal it. No, you need to go to the doctor, make a decision to go into the doctor and have him reset your leg if it's broken. So you have to make a decision to go. And it will not go away because you've ignored it or avoided it. Can you repeat that with me? It will not go away because I ignore or avoid it. I know that is so many people's uh, where they deflect to. Thirdly, you will reap a harvest because if you sow seeds of peace, you will reap fruit of righteousness. Maybe not in the way you expect, but you will reap. <clears throat> Conflict resolution is not an accident, but the seed of your intentionality. Sowing the seed. You want a crop? You want a crop of mealies? You got to sow the seed. You want a crop of tomatoes? You have to sow the seed. You can't just stand and look at the ground and hope that they grow. You have to do something. In our ministry, God has given us a command to plant seeds of reconciliation. So how are we going to do that? Well, like I said, many people have asked me to elaborate on this. You know that uh, I had so many reports of people who had come to the altar last time and husband and wives, uh, father and a son who hadn't spoken for a long time came together and reconciled and the relationship has been so much better since. People who were given ideas of who to talk to and what to do, how to forgive, they were being released. But we still need to continue in this quest. Look at Matthew 5:24. I'll be addressing forgiveness and reconciliation. There is a difference between an offender and offended, but they go hand in hand. Look at Matthew 5:24. Therefore, if you are at the altar, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has um, something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. 
Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, then come and present your offering. The first thing I want to talk to you about is remember. Remember that your brother has something against you. Well, the word remember in the Greek can also be translated gnaw or chew. Gnaw or chew. Can you say gnaw or chew? Can you chew? Chew, chew, chew. Gnaw at you. The word remember is an idea of fixing the mind to bear in mind, to gnaw, to chew, to handle, to squeeze. When you go to the altar, you will be reminded that you have offended someone. And he said, if you remember, everybody say remember. Remember. Then time hasn't healed your offense. What are we supposed to do about it? Well, he says, leave your gift at the altar. We are instructed to take immediate action, take a step, move, initiate movement to think about this for some of us can create cognitive dissonance. Like I spoke about earlier. Ha! Huh, I don't want to do this. You'll see in a minute. Whether you are offended or the offender, it works the same. The second thing is the altar. Regardless of what your problem, issue, or need is, we are requested by God to come to the altar. Maybe for salvation or prayer or bring an offering. See, this is an altar. Like I said last time, this is not a stage. Many churches have turned this into a stage. This is not a stage. It is a holy place. It is a sanctified, redeemed place where the Lord has requested, has laid out a pattern in the Bible that an altar is for worship and not for a show. The watchman is here to protect the altar from the influences that we talked about earlier in believing a lie. In terms of altar calls, <clears throat> there's been a movement away from the altar because people don't, we don't want to embarrass anybody. We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. But how does God see this? <clears throat> so our churches have turned into pleasing the people. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to uh, make you feel uncomfortable. So we're going to Turn the lights off so nobody can see that you lift your hands in worship because maybe somebody might be offended. Hello? God is light and in him there is no darkness. We are not here to imitate the world. We are here to proclaim the power of God and to show the way he wants to be worshipped. How does he see this? So we may have lost... Uh, repentance, reconciliation, and restoration, the reason, reason Satan doesn't want us at the altar is because the altar has a voice and it speaks. So how do we know the altar has a voice? Because Jesus said, therefore, bring your gift to the altar. And remember, if you, are, if you sense a stirring reminding you that you've offended someone, go make it right. Tell your neighbor the altar has a voice. The altar has a voice and you need to know that your offering 
or that what you sacrificed will activate the voice of God and will bless you for the act of obedience. Obedience. The third thing is, he says, first, first. Now notice he says, first reconcile. Well, the first in a series carries the power of redemption. That is the law of the first. The first 10% has the power of redemption over the 90. Yeshua, the firstborn, had the power and redemption over the rest of us. The first. Everybody say the first. The first. Not the second, but the first has power of redemption. And he says, first, go reconcile. There's a lot of weight. Again, that's a very thick theological term, isn't it? First, Dr. McConey. And he says, well, we say, so, so uh, the first 10 has power over the 90%. So when I come to the altar, something's gnawing at me. First, I go to my brother. First. Really? I reconcile with him. First, I leave the gift and seek reconciliation. And the power of God to release blessing on my life will cause increase. Because I have done according to what he has said. How does he see this? How does God see this? Now, what do I think? He doesn't deserve to be forgiven. He doesn't deserve reconciliation. They don't deserve my time. Do you, does, do you deserve Jesus? Do your enemies deserve Jesus? But he died for all of us. He paid the price and reconciled us to him. And yet we hold on to our offenses and our little things that, well, somebody didn't say hi to me and somebody didn't greet me and somebody was mean to me and somebody told me to get out of my chair and go sit in another place in the auditorium. What are you offended about? So, on the first, though, how does God see this? I want to elaborate that when we were, before we were created, he said, the first is mine. So the picture of the spirit is this. When you get your first salary in the year, For example, if you get $10, the whole $10 belongs to God. That's what God says. For the rest of the year, then your salary will be blessed. For the rest of the year, your salary will be blessed. The first 10 goes to God. Then the rest of the year's salary is blessed. Then from that salary... Each time you have a salary, there's a portion. The first tenth is a tithe. And in case of a tithe, I want you to know, so when you get $10, I hope you don't work in a bank because you're really slow counting money. (laughs) The first, the first dollar goes to God. Because you know why? You're in partnership with God. You're in partnership with Him. That's how it works. He gets what He gets. Then He blesses the rest. And you don't know your bless, your bless may not, your rest may not be blessed because you didn't give Him the first. First reconcile. First give your tithe. First, give your first fruits. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, get Pastor Tom's book first. I mean, first get his book. Go out there first before you buy toothpaste even. Get Pastor Tom's book. The first, this explains everything. 
has read this book? Who has not? This book <laughs> will explain things that you struggle to understand. It's so clear. And your father has put a lot of time into it, and so did I. But it is really, really, really good. So you want to get this book. So we need to make sure they have lots of these available or they're ready. Yeah. The fourth thing God said is, go, go, go. Yeshua commands us to leave our offering before the altar and go. This means take immediate action, move, take a step, response determines your destiny. Conflict never resolves itself and it takes initiation and movement. That's why I like the words, Ipapo Ijoji Kurmiza. Ipapo Ijoji Kurmiza. Immediately, wake up. Hey, you're sleeping. Hit your neighbor. We need some energy in this place. You know what my favorite, favorite word in the Bible is? Huh? You know, it's not praise. Immediately, immediately when Jesus told me, listen, immediately, immediately. Some of you need some immediately. I think you need to elbow your neighbor a little bit more because some of them looking a little bit schmiffy here. So he says, go. This goes for the offender as well as the offended. So these principles, how many of you have ever offended someone? How many of you have been offended? We've been told to plant seeds of righteousness and peace. So you need to initiate the movement. So the first thing we need to do is we need to initiate the movement. You need to do something. And today we're going to plan how we're going to do that. Like I said, conflict resolution is not an accident, but it's a result of intentionality. Conflict never resolves itself. It never resolves itself. Say with me, conflict never resolves itself. It will never go away. And this is whether we're talking about reconciliation with God or others. It'll never go away. God is not going to go away. He's the hound of heaven. He will not leave you alone. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You just won't receive his blessings if you don't do as he said. To obey is better than sacrifice. You know, there are certain things in our people have been very offended with our church. Very offended with people in the church. Very offended with words from the church. I want to tell you a couple of things that are offensive. Number one, being late. I just want you to know, I've been offended with some of you. Because you're late. You don't consider God's house and God's service, the appointed time that we come and worship, as important. You don't value the fact that there are people sitting in here 
that want to worship God and you want to come and sit next to them and you want to tramp all over their feet to get to where you want to sit. I have so many complaints from people because you are late. Now I want you to know something. I forgive you. <laughs> but <laughs> we need to be reconciled here. <laughs> we need to be reconciled. You need to come on time. And I'll extend grace if you're late because you really can't help it. But most of you are just lazy. And so in order Here's where you put me between a rock and a hard place. In order to, um, in order, in order to appease, to make make peace with my children who are offended that you come and trump on their feet, I then have to make a decision to close the doors and not let anybody else in. But then, that makes you mad. And offended because you're mad because why should somebody shut you out of the presence of God? So then you're mad at the usher, you're mad at whoever because you're late. Is that fair? Come, let us reason. Come, let us reason together. <laughs> it is also very, <laughs> it is very distracting. When the worship of God is is happening, if we're singing, he's singing to us, I am with you, wherever you may go, I'm always with you. And then somebody's walking around like this. I wish you could be up here and see what I see. It's called um, insensitive. It's called disconnect. It's called distraction, which leads to destruction. Makes somebody mad. Chaos, then bitterness. How dare they tell me I can't come here? <laughs> oh, just smile. You know, <laughs> the thing is, <laughs> How many of you can do better? Huh? How many of you can come earlier? You see, we don't have pre-service prayer anymore. We have service prayer. This is not before the service so you can come and just chill and do. We pray. We create atmosphere. We begin our worship. We have the word. This is all about creating the atmosphere. Climate change. Do you want to be a part of climate change? Are you are you a part of the seeding of the clouds that causes chaos oh. just turn your neighbor and say she loves you very much the second thing is <laughs> the second thing is uh, we have a, an issue with some of our clothing you know I feel like a broken record sometimes but let me tell you what's going to happen now. Pastor Tom has decreed that we will begin to really promote modesty. 
we are, want women to look like women and men to look like men. There is definitely an infiltration of that. You know through society that women look like men and men look like women. Wait. Yeah, women look like men, men look like women. Some men look like dogs. Others look like trees. I mean, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but you know, you know, if I stood a man up here and a woman, anyway, I don't want to do that. But <laughs> there are some, um, some little bits of skin that are showing a little too much sometimes in the service. This is the house of worship. And we do not want to be disrespectful to our brothers. I told you how some of the women come down the aisle and they put a seed on the altar. And when they get there, they have some lines showing. Among with other things. And the poor guys in the front go, woo! Well, brothers, shame on you for opening your eyes. But ladies... <laughs> hey, we're not supposed to make our brothers stumble, ladies. So cover up. Oh, but it's hot. Well, what if they all came in spaghetti straps? No. Or backless. I've seen some spaghetti straps, some backless, some short skirts up here. Then, then anyway, so the lady comes to the front, puts her off, and then she turns around, and then she's got another line showing. So they do a double. Woo! Now, come on. That's not fair. That's not, this is the house of God. Holy, holy, holy God. Holy God. Holy, holy, holy. We are standard pair. Why do you want someone to be constantly looking at your legs and your lines? What for? Huh? Men, do I hear an amen here? Oh, whoa. <laughs> so, so, ladies, listen. You can dress how you like. But how you like may not be very conducive to anybody else's brain. So we're learning, and we're, we've been programmed, like I told you at the beginning, programmed what to wear. Well, that's cool, because Kim Kardashian wears it, or whoever you think is your model wears it, that you should be able to, too. Oh, but it's, it's, you know, it's not trendy to cover all our, our skin. <laughs> Who said? Who is washing your brain? So we will be having... Scarves at the door. <laughs> and if you insist on coming with lines showing, we'll help you cover them up. <laughs> I don't think some of us do it on purpose, but we will help teach you that in your ignorance... All right. <laughs> okay, so the second seed we're going to plant is we have to be strategic in how we're going to do this, how we're going to reconcile. So I'm reconciling. By we're putting cloths out there, and we're asking you to be on time. Okay. And you reconcile with me by coming on time and by either dressing better. And, men, it really would be good if you dressed up. Don't wear your T-shirts and shorts. This... 
This is the house of God. Go to the market like that. But why come and worship God? You know, you, you dress in a tux to go to a wedding or you dress in a tux to go to a school prom or something. You have to wear a uniform to school, but you come to church. Thank you. I love you all up there because you look so smart every Sunday. You look so sharp. And then some of these these guys come in looking like scruffs. Oh, I wish I could go there. I have more of my message to carry on with here. So we're going to pray about it. We're going to ask God for wisdom and others. And we're going to pick and be strategic about how we're going to speak to people. And like I said, if you have somebody that's close to you, you may plant seeds of letters. You may plant seeds of phone calls. You may plant seeds of taking them out. You may plant seeds of looking at someone and saying, hey... I really love you, and what you did here was great. But I need to tell you that when you did this, it really hurt me. And then see how they feel. If someone comes to you and says that, don't go, Well, what's wrong with you? You know you were an idiot. And you don't go to the person and say to them, when you're trying to reconcile, Hey, you were such an idiot, you bashed me, and you trashed me, and I don't, I'm not going to take it from you. Do you think they're going to want to reconcile? No, you say, you know, it really hurt me when you spoke like that. You know, I didn't realize it. But I guess I did. I'm sorry. So how you approach on either side is going to make a difference to how you will be received. But God will give you wisdom. And we can seek counsel from the pastors how to do that. Then your approach, you must be humble. Don't prove, just try to prove your point, but speak the truth. And try to, well, Pastor Tom used to pre- preach the sandwich job. Say something really good about them and then tell them how they were a real jerk. And then tell them something really good. <laughs> and then the third C is to plan your, uh, uh, sorry. Um, it, it, this thing is hard. It's really hard. But did Jesus say it would be easy? No, he said 70 times 7 and it'll be easy. He didn't say that. 70 times 7. Find a point you can agree on and begin restoration and reconciliation. The fourth seed is learning to listen. Okay, there's a difference between listening and hearing. You're listening to me, but that right now, are you listening to me? Yes. But that means you're giving value to what I'm saying. But you're also hearing the piano play. I hear that, and you hear that. You hear it, but you're listening to me. Have you ever seen that funny video of that little kid? Linda, listen to me. (laughs) He needed a shamu, but it was so funny, really, the way he was reasoning with his mother. Listen to me, Linda. You're not listening to me. So, listening is an art you need to develop. It's like a husband, you walk in, you go home and you talk to your husband and you say, are you listening to me? And he says, yes, but he's listening to the football game and only hearing you. You, you're adding value to the football game, but you hearing her. So then she says, are you listening to me? And you say, yes. And then she says, what I say 
Kinyo severken? Because there's a difference between listening and hearing. Men are very easy to blank out. Men blank out, I mean, over. They blank out, especially if they hear something more than once. So learn to listen to the other person's hurt and understand their perspective. Anger is often symptomatic of a deeper painful issue. Where there's anger typically behind it, there's pain. And if you can treat the symptom of anger, but the disease stays. You can treat the symptom of anger, but the disease stays. So you have to get past the anger and address their pain and try to understand their hurt and perspective. And I know, so in, in early days when I'd be really mad with Pastor Tom, he was like, so mad, so mad, so mad. And if he walked away and ignored me, I would get even worse. People speak louder when you don't listen. But if you turn and say, honey, what's on your heart? I'd go, honey, remember. Listen. 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 Understanding doesn't mean you necessarily agree, but you'll have empathy with their point of view. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Remember, the less people are heard, the louder they get. The fifth seed is take action that rebuilds trust. There's the offender and offended. Understand that if you have been offended, someone has done you wrong and forgiveness is your responsibility. If you are the offender, reestablish and build trust. Here's some examples. If you stole money from me, I'll forgive you. But I will not be in a hurry to give you my credit card. If you stole money and make an effort to pay it back. If you stole money, make an effort to pay it back. Even if it's $5. If you're in debt, pay it back a dollar at a time. Do something. Just initiate doing something. Take action that rebuilds trust. If I lent you my car and you damaged it, I'm not going to be in a hurry to let you drive it again. But if you damage someone's car, you undertake to fix it. At least make a step. You may not have the money to fix the car you broke. But you can at least try with a a dollar at a time. If someone owes you money, forgive them. But if you have a debt, work out a payment plan. If you have children out of wedlock, take care of them. If you're going to have children out of wedlock, you better believe you got to have consequences. You can be forgiven and restored, but consequences are still there and you need to take care of those kids. I just heard of a, of a, man, who had, uh, of a man who had a small house and uh, he had a wife and family, then he had a small house. He took better care of the small house, of course, bought her a car, bought a house, did everything, what, 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 what. And then I guess God got a hold of him and he went back to his wife and kids and then he lost his job. So he's sitting here with a lost job. And now his small house lady with the new car and all the stuff now has a new boyfriend. And she's living in the dough and he and his wife and family here are in trouble now 
he's got double, triple trouble. Because not only is he resentful, not only was he stupid, but now he's resentful and his whole family is suffering. Get it right. Get it right before it's worse. Because it won't get better. Forgiveness is based on grace. Trust is built on works. Let's focus on reconciliation and forgiveness and resolution. George and James came to the altar on Sunday morning. They each came bringing their gift. George and James are both very committed Christians. They were respected in their community. They had families. They served the Lord faithfully in their local church. They each came and presented their gift at the altar. And when they did, the altar began to speak to both of them. They each had irreconcilable relationships that they had to uh, sort out from the past. They both had stolen money from their employer many years ago. However, when they came to the altar, they were convicted. And they knew God was telling them. The altar was speaking and gnawing at them and they were remembering they needed to make it right. Now, any of you could be in this situation. You may have been offended because you were abandoned, abused verbally, physically, you were violated, you were stolen from, you were cheated on, you were lied to, and you're sitting at the altar carrying this offense. Or you may have been the offender who abandoned a loved one. You abused a relative verbally, you abused a relative physically, you violated a woman, you stole from a workmate. You cheated on a spouse. As their story unfolds, think about where you are. And remember the principles. Work whether the offense occurred before you were a Christian or after you've been a Christian. Neither one of them were Christians when it happened. And years later, even decades had gone by, they still remember. And as they came to the altar, both of them were believing for jobs. Each family struggled with poverty and lack, but they were really trusting God to answer their prayers. So as George reflected on the experience he had at the altar, it was beckoning him to reconcile and activate the spiritual dynamic blessing of his life, but he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. He was convicted, but he couldn't obey. He was overwhelmed by natural perceptions, rather, and went rather with pride, which leads to self-preservation. What will my wife think? The man certainly won't accept me. But it was too long ago. What will people say? What will people say? James, on the other hand, was overcome by the grace of God, knowing he'd been forgiven and in remembering wanted to do the right thing and obey God. When he went later, he decided to go to his ex-employer, He decided to try to go to his ex-employer and he was not received at first. The employer didn't want to know his story, but James persevered. 
you persevered in repentance and you asked forgiveness, the love of God began to prevail. Healing began to take place. Restoration began to flow. Eventually, over time, and over time, there was reconciliation. James returned to the altar. James returned to the altar where he experienced a buoyancy in the spirit. He was overwhelmed with the peace of God. He was overwhelmed. He obeyed God. He remembered. He remembered and he initiated movement and he went. He went as the Lord said. He went to the altar. He remembered. So God gave him a plan. God gave him a plan to show his ex-boss that he was now faithful. He was loyal and trustworthy. And he had a plan to pay back what he'd stolen. Little did he know that his ex-boss was making calls to help him find a job. Because the spirit of the spirit of God through reconciliation had activated the spirits. And God was able to move on his behalf and bless him because he redeemed the first. The first redeemed the rest. The first redeemed the rest. So God made a way. And God wants to make a way for you. How many, how many gifts are laying at the altar unactivated? How much is left that could be released It has a voice. The seed has not been watered. The seed has not been nurtured. And it remains without activation. So whatever happened to George? Well, George continued coming to church. But he was loaded. He was loaded with regret and with guilt and anger and selfishness and pride and doubt and fear. He would pray and he'd come and worship because he really loved God and he loved worship. But uh, he would get a release as he communed with God. But as soon as the service was over, because of his disobedience, (laughs) he would pick up his load. He would pick up his load and carry it with him. That's what some of you look like. <laughs> My way, Jango, for sure, this one. So peacemaking is hard. And some of you are still struggling in thinking. Pastor, you don't know. You don't know the person that I need to approach. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how painful this is for me. I can't do it. Remember the story of Christ. Betrayed by a friend. Denied by a friend. Whipped and crucified by soldiers. And by every person 
he died for. Even now, what you do causes him pain. But at the very end, he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And sometimes, because they don't know what they do, but many times, they know what they did to you. And sometimes, they will have forgotten. But you remain with the pain. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I want you to think about someone you need to forgive or someone you know you need to make it right with. And we're going to do something at the, in, in a few minutes, but I want to put one more thing in front of you. Some of you may know or may not know the story of Cory Ten Boom, who is a Dutch woman who is known for harboring Jews during the Holocaust. She was born in Harlem, Netherlands in, ni- in 1892 and grew up in a devoutly religious family. During World War II, she and her family harbored hundreds of Jews to protect them from the Nazi authorities. She was betrayed by a fellow Dutch citizen. All Ten Boom family members were incarcerated, including Corey's 84-year-old father, who soon died in a prison located near The Hague. Corey and her sister Betsy were remanded to the notorious Ravensbrück concentration camp near Berlin. Betsy died there December 16, 1944, and 12 days later, due to a clerical error, Corey Ten Boom was released from prison right before all the women her age were murdered. I remember hearing her speak before she died. She spoke all around the world, conferences on love, forgiveness. And if anybody had experienced tragedy, loss, brutality, abuse, watching her family murdered in front of her eyes, it was Corey Ten Boom. And there was a season in America, especially, and around the world where she spoke and brought incredible change in the atmosphere. Love and forgiveness. I want you to watch this with me. Some time ago, that I was in Berlin, and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers in concentration camp. 
And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I explained that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5, and thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. I want you to pray with me and I want you to remember there's someone that you need to forgive or that needs to forgive you or you need to let go realize you're harboring something that is killing you God can make it right Just think about that person. The Lord is asking who will go to reconcile a seed to sow, release the offense. To release the offender, let forgiveness flow. What does the Lord require of us? Lay down our lives, lift up the cross. Right now, I want to encourage you to think of whoever or whatever you need to deal with. The ushers are going to hand out, if you want, a piece of paper that you can write the name of that person or an envelope 
and you put an offering in there and their name, then you bring it to the altar. We will take all those names and we will leave them in the prayer room and we will pray over them that reconciliation may return. So as we're thinking right now, ushers, would you pass out papers if you want a piece of paper or you want an offering envelope and you want to put a seed in there, a financial seed to help even activate who you need to forgive or who you know you need to reconcile with. Now is the time. Now is the time. Remember. Remember. The Lord is asking who will go to reconcile a seed to sow. Release the offense to let it go. Release the offender, let forgiveness flow. What does the Lord require of us? To lay down our lives, lift up His cross. The Lord is asking, who will go? To reconcile a seed to sow. Release the offender, let forgiveness flow. Release the offense and let it go. What does the Lord require? Father, I thank you for these, your children who are engaging in a time of reconciliation in the spirit of forgiveness. Lord, we pray for these people that they have written down. We pray for the people that they have put into the offering for the altar. May the altar speak. May the altar continue to speak to these, your children. Some people say, oh, God never speaks to me. Come to the altar. There is something about the altar that God has given us. And he knew it. Hallelujah. So if everybody has what they need, anybody else need... you have your paper, you have written what you need. I'd like you to stand with me.
Father, I pray for these, your children. I pray for the names that they have written. I pray for the people that have offended them, that they will be open to your spirit. I pray for the release of those they have offended. And Father, I pray that now there will be an activation in the spirit world, in the spirit realm, that our atmosphere will be full of love, forgiveness, peace, and joy. Father, give return back to them the years that have been stolen, the time that has been stolen. Return back to them. Come, let us reason, says the Lord. Come, let us reason. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.